And we've been talking about this series, Jesus I Am. Um, and last week we looked at John chapter 10. We read the first 10 verses where Jesus gave this illustration of the sheep pen. If you remember, the sheep pen was an enclosed space stacked with stones and had one door. You guys remember that, that little fuzzy picture with the, you know, sh you know, the shepherd just hanging out at the door? Yeah. So Jesus said um, thieves and robbers would climb over that wall to get into the sheep pen, but his sheep goes through the door. Um, in that text, Jesus drew two applications from this illustration, and we looked at the first application last week when we saw that Jesus is the door of the sheep. You guys remember that, him being the door of the sheep? Good. Um, Today, we'll look at the second application. Um, Jesus is the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. And you guys sounded so beautiful last week. I'd love for you guys to stand again as we read um, John 10, verses 11 through 21. You guys, can you read today? Please stand if you can. All right, here we go. One, two, three. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said. These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father, we are grateful for your word, and I pray, God, as we go through the rest of the service, that you be with us and bring clarity to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, he is um, often pro provocative or controversial. Uh, for example, in Luke 18, it's also in Mark, the rich young ruler said, good teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? And what was his response? It says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And yet we just read a passage that talks about God, who's Christ revealing himself as, you know, as the good shepherd here. Then in Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50, they told Jesus that his mother and brothers are waiting for him outside. 
And then again, his response. Who's my mother and brothers? And then he turned to his disciples and says, here are my mother and brothers. Then I mentioned to you that Jesus stood in the middle of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Sukkot, and all these lights are going on. And he stood in the middle and says, I am the light of the world. Then remember later on, we have these uh, people, they got in their boats, crossed the water, went to Capernaum and met with Jesus and they said, we want bread. And Jesus says, I have bread from heaven. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Last week we saw how he looked at these agrarian, these agricultural uh, people and say, I am the door of the sheep. Now when Jesus um, spoke like this, verse 19 that we read earlier says, it causes division or schisma in the Greek, which is where we get the English word schism. And now he says, I am the good shepherd. Now the word kalos, K-A-L-O-S, is translated as good to suggest nobleness or worth. So Jesus was saying, I am the noble shepherd. I am worthy, I am the worthy shepherd. But before we can talk about the good shepherd, we must understand what does it mean to be a shepherd. Now, a shepherd is to someone that we know often as someone who tends to the sheep, which is true. But spiritually to be a shepherd meant having a combination of what we called soft and hard virtues. Soft and hard virtues. Um, shepherds with Soft virtues are tender. So the guiding principle for soft virtue is love. This includes words like grace, mercy, kindness, forgiveness. We find an example of this in Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Notice the tenderness. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So that's the soft virtue. On the other hand, shepherds have hard virtues. They're daring, they're pretty bold. Remember Peter, when Peter, when they came to arrest Jesus, he drew the sword. So the guiding principle of, for hard virtues is truth, which includes justice, holiness, righteousness, Another example of this is in 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 to 35. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth, and if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Now, the average person wouldn't think about going after a lion and a bear. But that's the character of a shepherd with hard virtues. Act first, ask questions later, right? Now, there are some other qualities of a shepherd that's important for our conversation today. The first is that a shepherd is a natural leader. 2 Samuel 5, verse 2. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. 
And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. This is the story of David when they anointed him king. In verse 1, it tells us that all the people, all the leaders of Israel approached David and they are saying this thing to him. A shepherd is filled with compassion. Um, not only do we see this in Psalm 95 verse 7, but also in the New Testament. But here in Psalm 95 7, for he's our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice. In the New Testament, we saw where Jesus was often moved with compassion before he performed miracles. A shepherd protects the flock. Micah 5, verses 4 to 5. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Now, Micah itself is a fascinating book, if you ever get a chance to read that book. It actually predicts the exact location of where Jesus would be born. So get a chance to read the book of Micah. A shepherd also provides for the flock. Psalm 23, verses 1 to 4. Can we read this together? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I'm sure if you grew up in a church or in VBS, you've learned the entire chapter. You guys like to learn the entire chapter? And of course, like Psalm 100, those popular ones. When we talk about what it means to be a shepherd, it's important that we understand that a shepherd excels in both soft virtues and hard virtues. God desires for a shepherd to be daring and tender, but he desires a one who rules with compassion and one's, a one who protects and provides. But most importantly, God desires a shepherd who does not turn a blind eye to sin, but at the same time moves in the direction of the struggling sheep. In other words, a true shepherd never gets tired of restoring a struggling sheep. Let me say it again. A true shepherd never gets tired of restoring a struggling sheep. In Matthew 18, verses uh, 20 and 21, Peter asked, how often should we forgive someone? If you remember, now in the New Translation of the Bible, it says that Jesus responded and says 77 times. But if you read the, all the translations, you'll see it says 70 times 7. A true shepherd is ready to restore a sheep regardless of the number of times they fall, whether it's 70 times 7 or 77 times. So let me ask you this question. How many times have you received forgiveness from the same God versus how many times you have forgiven someone who done wrong against you? I mean, compare those two. How many times you ask the same God for forgiveness? And how many times do you actually forgive 
the same person who's wronged you. Now, what I just shared with you concerning a shepherd, all these things are synonymous with the character or definition of a pastor, someone who has soft and hard virtues. Now, the, the Latin translation of the Bible is called Vulgate, V-U-L-G-A-T-E, Vulgate. Um, it dates back to 382 um, A.D., so quite a bit away. Until the Reformation of the 16th century, the Vulgate was one of the most influential translations of the Bible. That's what they used in the West. Now, if you were to look at John 10, verse 11 in the Vulgate, anyone that speaks Italian here? Or Latin? Okay. So I had to look this up and... Uh, and so John 10, 11, in the Vulgate, now, the best that I saw was, was a few people singing this. I'm not going to sing. I promise you I'm not. But the first part says, ego sum pastor bonus. That's what you will see in the Vulgate translation. And so Jesus was saying, I am the pastor bonus. Pastor meaning shepherd, and bonus meaning good. So Jesus is saying that you really need a pastor bonus, the one who guides you to eternity. So Jesus is the good shepherd, the pastor bonus. Now that we understand a little about what it means to be a shepherd, why is Jesus the good shepherd? Think about how we use good in our daily lives. Sometimes we say something is good in a moral sense, but other times we mean something is good in quality. For example, we might say someone's a good athlete or a good musician, or maybe they're a good chef. We don't necessarily mean that they are morally good. We're suggesting that they're good in quality. They're good at what they do, so the good athlete excels in their sport. The good musician performs well musically. And the good chef cooks very well. Any chefs in the house? Anyone believe they're a chef? I see, oh, I see, I see a hand one up there. I know uh, I've had uh, Adam cook for me twice in one month. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, we, we had lunch. He's like, I'll cook. And so we had lunch, um, actually lunch and dinner. So twice in probably three, a three-week span. But I see, uh, um, so some of us will say, we're pretty good at what we do. Well, that's the way how good is used in this passage. It's used in the context of something that's really good. It's a word meaning good in quality. When Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he means that he excels at being a shepherd. So Jesus is the gold standard of shepherding. He is the perfect example of, you know, of who a shepherd should be. In our passage, Christ shares four different ways that he's a good shepherd. The four ways we see is that he lays down his life for the sheep. He knows his sheep. 
he brings all the sheep into one flock, and he conquers death for the sheep. We're actually going to break these down. So let's look at the first one. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Look at John 10, verses 11 through 13 again. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, when you look at this text, there's a difference between an obligation and taking on responsibility. For example, an attendee of this church might feel obligated to get connected. We're saying, hey, get connected to what we're doing here because this is a church. But if that feeling goes away, what happens? The obligation goes away. A committed member of this church doesn't feel obligated to get involved they willingly take on the responsibility to get involved and to protect the vision of the church. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's suggesting that he willingly takes on the responsibility of giving his life for the sheep. But notice that he doesn't simply give his life for the sheep. Verse 11 says, he lays down his life for the sheep. This language is intentional by Jesus. In Matthew 27, 59, they laid Jesus' body in the tomb after his crucifixion. In Mark 6, 29, the disciples laid John the Baptist's body in the ground. There's something personal and intentional when someone, you know, body is laid, when the body is laid down. So to lay down your body is a voluntary, sacrificial death. Life in our text is more than just a physical existence. It means our whole self. That's what Christ was saying. He uses uh, this phrase, laid on my life, five times in verses 11 through 18. And he also uses the same phrase in John 15, 13, another uh, familiar passage, a verse. It says, greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. So the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He dies so that the sheep may live. There was a purpose for laying down his life. Now, as part of this purpose, Jesus goes on into verses 12 and 13 to contrast himself with the hired hand. Verse 12, let's read it again. It says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand has no personal interest in the flock beyond what he's paid to do. We talk about how shepherds would go into a town, they would bring their sheep to a pen, and go elsewhere to stay for the night. So this shepherd, this hired hand, he's paid to take care of the sheep. Now when he's talking about the wolf coming and he's gone, this idea about wolves is not actually a hypothetical situation. Wolves were a real threat to shepherds and, sh and sheep and the flocks. We've seen this in cartoons. I like watching Droopy. You guys ever seen Droopy before? Guys, 
You guys make me feel like I'm an old man. Droopy is an old cartoon, but I like watching it. It's, okay, Droopy is the, is the cartoon that says, you know what? That makes me happy. You guys never seen that cartoon before? If he's happy, if he's sad, it's the same emotion. But Droopy's always protecting sheep. But here's another historical fact. Now, when I'm reading the text in, in, in the Bible, I like going beyond the surface. I like to see what's happening. Because when you go beyond the surface, it gives you the intentionality of the author. Um, here's what you learn culturally. Part of the legal responsibility of this hired hand was to defend the sheep against one wolf. Think about that. They were not expected to defend the sheep if they saw two wolves coming, just one wolf. So if the wolf attacked and it's just one, now what, whatever amount of sheep was damaged, that hired hand was responsible legally. The point that Christ was making is that no one would be surprised if the hired hand took off running if two wolves showed up. The hired hand might not want to risk his life for the sheep. So if the hired hand ran off, the consequences of the sheep would be disastrous. So Jesus says the wolf snatches and scatters the sheep. So the wolf is a real threat to both the sheep and the shepherd. Now, firstly, here's what you need to know is that the sheep is only in danger because the hired hand ran away. He doesn't own the sheep. Secondly, the hired hand runs away because he does not care for the sheep. That's what we read. John 10 verse 13. The hired hand flees because he cares nothing for the sheep. So they're not his sheep. So he doesn't care or willing to risk his life. Let me make it a little personal for you. The sacrifice that I have made or willing to make for this church, I don't expect another pastor to do the same. The same is true, that I might not be willing to make the same sacrifice at another church because that's not my assignment. It's not because we don't love people. It's just that we all have different assignments. Emerge is where God has placed me. This is my assignment, just like another church, a pastor has that assignment. Jesus, the good shepherd, he was willing to do something no one else was willing to do or could do, which was lay down his life. So the hard, the hard hand runs away. Jesus says, my assignment is to lay down my life for the sheep. That was his assignment. What's your assignment? For those of you who are leading in a ministry, or maybe you're leading an area at your job, or even at your school, what are you willing to sacrifice for the people you lead? Think about that. If you had to sacrifice your life for the people you lead, how difficult would that decision be for you to make? Think about that. Someone like, uh, I remember uh, in our staff meeting in Florida, my wife's laughing, and one of the older pastors, she was, you know, doing a teaching, and she used the exact, the, the verse, she said, 
Greater man had no one like, like this, the man living his life for his friend. And she said, I loved you guys, but I will never die for you. And she was so serious. She's like droopy. She said it with a straight face. So the first thing that we're seeing with a good shepherd is that he lays down his life for the sheep. The second way is that Jesus knows his sheep. John 10, 14 to 16, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now we saw last week in verse 3 that the doorkeeper opens the door and the sheep listen to their shepherd's voice. We said that when all the sheep are in this pen, we try to figure out how do they know their shepherd? Well, because they know the voice of their shepherd. So when the shepherd calls out to the sheep, the sheep become running. In the Old Testament, the Bible actually says that God writes our name in the palm of his hand. So he knows us by name. So the shepherd actually assigned a name to their sheep. He's a character. So when he, the shepherd, has brought out his sheep, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow because they know his voice. We have much of the same language in verse 14. Jesus says, I know my own, know my own sheep, and they know, my, they know me. To know someone speaks of personal knowledge. Our text is suggesting that Jesus and the sheep enjoy a relationship of deep trust and intimacy. Jesus confidently says, I know my sheep because I willingly lay down my life for them. And then he confidently says, my sheep also know me because they know that I willingly lay down my life for them. Does your relationship with Jesus matches the confidence in which he speaks about you in John 10, 14? Think about that. Can we confidently say, I know the voice of the shepherd, Jesus? Jesus went out of his way. He went on the limb and says, they know my voice. It would be rather hypocritical for me to be leading people and not know how to hear the voice of God. Because he's saying that I should know his voice. He's saying that you should know his voice. And he confidently says it. Sheep spend time knowing the shepherd. I have a 25-year-old, going to be 26 this year, and an 18-year-old in my home. Now, they don't agree with everything I say, and they shouldn't. But when they disagree, it's never because they don't trust my words. In fact, I have never met someone who said, I woke up and I decided to trust this person. Never met that person before. And if we're honest, it probably took a while for us to even trust God with every area of our lives. And some of us are still saying, but how can I actually trust God in this area? How many can, have, can, can say, this is true, I don't trust God with every area of my life? I mean, it's difficult. I mean, we know that God is our Father, but there are just some things we're saying, i got to take control of this. Now, my sons trust me because we've developed a relationship. 
our relationship developed to where they know my voice and they know the emotions behind my voice. There are certain words that I say, they'll know what I mean. Now, my wife, she has her thing with them. And so she'll call them sometimes and they won't move as fast. And then she'll do her thing. Now, I've, I've never tried it, and I've never tried it, probably won't work with me. She'll say, she'll say, Brent, Tyler, no, no response. And then she goes, five, four. And you're hearing things tumbling all over the house. And you're like, I don't know what she wants, but uh, I'm going because there's an urgency behind it. You guys ever run because of five, four, three, two, one? Yes? No? St still work for any of you guys? <laughs> If Jesus desires for us to model his character, then it's important for us to understand this truth. We're all sheep. In fact, you are a sheep in this church under my spiritual care. And the Apostle Peter encouraged pastors to model themselves after Jesus. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 to 3. It says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So Peter directed pastors to serve as shepherds of the flock, not as hired hands who will flee at the sign of danger. So I'm the guy that will sink with the ship. That's what pastors do. That's what you do as a leader when you're leading an area. You're the last one that's there. Right, Bell, when you're doing the coffee, the tea? Right, Josh? When they're all gone, you're still standing. You're going to sink with the ship. That's what leaders do. We both share burden to have the same confidence as Jesus in John 10, 14. We can say, I know the members of Emerge, and they know me. That confidence is only possible through intentional community. Our text in John 10 says that we're also a sheep under Jesus' care. So there's an earthly response and a heavenly response. That's the order of God. But Jesus didn't stop there. He then compares him knowing the sheep and being known by the sheep to his own relationship with God the Father. John 10, 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, we don't know uh, uh, Jesus to the same degree as how he knows the Father. Yet Jesus says the intimacy that we should have with him is rooted in the sacrifice that's already been made. Jesus knows both the sheep who are currently under his care and those who will come under his care. The finished work of the cross doesn't need renewal. I'll say that again. The finished work on the cross, it doesn't need renewal. Christ died once. It's enough to offer salvation for those who have not yet made the decision to follow Jesus. So if that's you here today, you have this open invitation to accept Christ in your life.
The next thing to consider is that Jesus brings all the sheep into one flock, John 10, verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. In the historical context of this passage, he was thinking about the Gentiles. Salvation was not only for the Jews, but for everyone who had placed their faith in Jesus. Isaiah 56 verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So it was predicted that the Messiah would not only restore the lost tribes of Jacob, and Isaiah 49 verse 6 tells us that, but he would also be a light for the Gentiles. Paul would further explain in Ephesians 3 th this mystery through the gospel that the Gentiles are hearers together with Israel, members together of one body. So Jesus is describing the supernatural reconciling work. We are first reconciled to God, and because of this reconciliation, that we are reconciled to each other. Now, when we get to the end of our story, the Christian journey in Revelation 7, verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So the church should mirror the point that he was making. If we are one group of sheep, then we will have one shepherd. But obviously, there are divisions of this unity based on theological differences or theological understanding. But Jesus envisions all ethnicities having a spiritual oneness under one shepherd. There is only one flock for all of us. So here's the key. Relational oneness in the church starts with scriptural oneness in Christ. If we don't get that right, if we don't get this understanding of scriptures right, then there's no basis for true unity. Jesus is the good shepherd because he brings all the sheep into one flock. But notice in John 10, 16, how he uses the present tense. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. So he already knows who will come to him for salvation. In that sense, they are already, you know, his, and so he can already call them his sheep. So how do we identify these other sheep? Well, they're the ones who will listen to his voice. We learn that these sheep are the ones that will respond to the preached word or the sharing of the gospel. Those who hear and respond, they are Christ's sheep. We are all the mouthpiece of God. So we must share the gospel with those around us. Amen? Then we'll see here that Jesus conquers death for the sheep. It says here in John 10, 17 to 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So at this point, 
Jesus stops talking about sheep and shepherd. And now he speaks directly about himself. Here's what he's saying. A good shepherd might lay his life down for a sheep. A good shepherd knows his sheep and they know him. But no ordinary shepherd could ever conquer death for a sheep. Because you see, once that shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, guess what? Guess what? The sheep now no longer has protection. His life is over. He could no longer take care of the sheep. Jesus says, the reason I am the good shepherd, the reason why my father loves me is because I lay down my life and I take it up again. So there is this statement of divinity of Christ. This is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Zechariah 11, 7 to 8. The Messiah is the rejected shepherd. Zechariah 12, verse 10. The Messiah is the one pierced and mourned over. Zechariah 13, verse 7. The Messiah is the shepherd struck down by the Lord himself. So Jesus is claiming that he will be this fulfillment of all that Zechariah was prophesying in the Old Testament. This rejected, pierced Messiah is the shepherd who will freely lay down his life and then pick it up. Notice the importance of this language in verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down. The good shepherd doesn't lay down his life as an example to the sheep. He does so because they are in danger. That's what he's doing. It's a voluntary exchange, the life of the shepherd in exchange for the life of the sheep. Jesus laid down his life for the ones that he knows and the ones that knows him. So the value in this exchange of life is based on the depth of the relationship. For example, if I died for everyone in this room today, some would say, oh man, Pastor Garfield was a nice guy. And some might even shed a tear. Some would say, I don't really know him. I just see him. But my family would mourn a loss because of a relationship that was developed. The Bible teaches that Jesus died for the sheep. He died for those who would hear the gospel, those who would choose to develop a relationship with him. So I want you to note the response of those who heard Jesus speaking. Verse 19, John 10. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. One of the things that I learned in life is that there will always be a divided response to the truth according to the hearts of men. There will always be a divided response. It doesn't matter how truthful you speak. Your words are subject to the hearts of the recipient. Our text tells us that the hearers, they placed a label to the truth that Jesus spoke. John 10 verse 20. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Some people are not content in their disbelief. 
So they seek to convince others of their truth. That's what these people are doing. But when you live this life of integrity, when your body of work reflects God, he always sends help. Verse 21, others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The supporters of Jesus said, based on the body of work that we've heard and seen by Jesus, can a demon heal a blind man? So I'm going to ask you this question. How is your public walk with Christ? If someone says, don't listen to your claim as a Christian, would their words be justified based on your public life? In closing, all of us have a shepherd. We all have a guiding principle for our lives. Some of us, might, it might be another person, a pastor or another church leader. For some, it's a destructive addiction. For, for others, you are your own shepherd. You're seeking to be masters of your own destiny because no one can lead you. And the only person that you can trust is yourself. But Jesus wants us to see him as the pastor bonus, the good shepherd. Who is your good shepherd today? What kind of care does your shepherd provide for you? Only Jesus can properly care for your life. He is the good shepherd. He's the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the only one that conquered sin and death. Will you yield your life to him today? By your heads with me. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for sending your son, Lord God, to down a cross for us so that we can have the forgiveness of sins. I pray, God, for the one that's here today, one that might be watching or listening, that doesn't have a relationship with you, that they'll um, grow to know that you're there willing to forgive of our sins. It doesn't matter how many times we fall, you're there to pick us up because you've already laid on your life for us. But I also pray, God, for all of us, that our life will reflect you. Our life will reflect um, just the life that you embody. Now, when we walk this street, whether it's in Berkeley or in SF or wherever we are in SoCal, wherever we are, that our life will reflect you. I pray, God, that you move in and through our lives, that you be the center of all that we do. We just love you and we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.